Dr. Swanson, Dr. Denstadt, members and guests. I'm truly honored to present the Latimer Lecture for 2021. And when I researched the Latimer Lecture, I realized that it was first given in 1977 as an annual presentation by a medical professional addressing research or new developments in the field of medicine affecting urology. And I've attended 40 of the last 44 Latimer lectures. And when I looked at the content of these lectures, it covered the depth and breadth of urology, except what about for stone disease? Well, I found that there were only two Latimer lectures. One was uh, only three years ago by Marshall Stoller, who gave a brilliant lecture on biomineralization in, in urology. And my mentor, Charlie Pack, in 2008, talked about medical stone management, 35 years of advancements. And so I'm truly honored to give the third Latimer lecture on stones uh, and thank my mentors, Charlie Pack and Marty Resnick, both of whom uh, helped me so much uh, in my career in the management of stone disease. Well, nephrolithiasis accounts for a large portion of the urologist's practice. Why then is medical stone evaluation and treatment such an enigma to many urologists? Medical stone therapy should be an important part of the general urologist curriculum, especially in light of the recent AUA guidelines on medical stone management. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to focus on what I consider to be the future of stone management, specifically talking about empiric treatments for stone disease, the use of diet supplements, the use of new, uh, uh, excuse me, the new use of old medications, as well as the impact of urinary oxalate on all patients with calcium oxalate stones. And finally, to talk about the genetic diagnosis and management of recurrent stone disease. Now, empiric therapy for stones is not a new concept. Birdwell Finlayson from the University of Florida proposed this over 40 years ago. And more recently, David Goldfarb and Ryan C. have talked about empiric medication based on stone composition, which may provide more important uh, and easier treatment to reduce stone recurrence in many of the world's stone formers, specifically increasing fluid intake using generic dietary manipulations and prescriptions of either potassium citrate and thiazides for patients with calcium oxalate or uric acid stones. And I think that all of us provide dietary advice to our patient staying away from salty foods or those foods that are high in oxalate or staying away from animal protein. But recently, the USDRN is looking at another empiric therapy uh, with, the, uh, with the beginning of the PUSH trial, the prevention of urinary stones with hydration trial, using a novel behavioral intervention to increase fluid intake to reduce the risk of stone recurrence versus usual care. 
And this behavioral intervention is the use of a smart water bottle, which reminds the patient to drink fluids during the day. Well, dietary supplements for stones did not appear to have had much of an impact on stone management. And in fact, doctors Ku and Metlaga recently published a evidence-based evaluation of 27 dietary supplements for the management of stones. And they found that two thirds of these supplements claiming to treat renal stones contained ingredients that were conflicting or had no support or had no evidence to support their claims. The use of natural uh, drinks to manage stones uh, was really introduced uh, about 25 years ago when Marshall Stoller first reported on uh, the homemade mixture of lemonade with four ounces of reconstituted lemon juice with two liters of water. And in this short-term clinical trial, they found that they were able to significantly increase urinary citrate excretion. We also looked at lemonade therapy at our practice at Duke University. And in this large retrospective trial published in 2006, we found that those patients prescribed lemonade therapy um, had a significant increase in urinary citrate excretion uh, similar to that of those patients who had a similar hypocitraturia, uh, but had a slightly higher citratoric response. And our study on long-term lemonade therapy found that it appeared to increase urinary citrate and decrease stone formation rate in patients with mild to moderate hypocitraturia who were unable to tolerate potassium citrate. But it's important to remember that lemonade has no impact on urine pH, making it suboptimal for patients who need alkali therapy. Recently, a new dietary supplement has been introduced called Moonstone. And this is a drink uh, that was designed by doctors Goldfarb, Stoller, and Eisner. And recent data presented at the Rock Society demonstrated that Moonstone's higher net citrate content provided more net base to raise the urinary citrate. So compared to potassium citrate, the Moonstone offered more citrate, more net alkali, and resulted in a significant increase in urinary citrate, taking two packs of Moonstone daily. We have done long-term studies looking at potassium citrate and its impact on stone formation. And in this large uh, retrospective review, we found that long-term potassium citrate had a significant and sustained increase in urine pH and citrate in those patients on long-term potassium citrate therapy. But most importantly, long-term potassium citrate also had a significant uh, or created a significant reduction in the stone formation rate or number of stones per patient per year, 
while these patients continued on the potassium citrate therapy. And while there are continue to be a number of generic and brand name crystals and liquid and slow release pills for potassium citrate, the cost and intolerance of potassium citrate remains a significant problem for many of our patients and I would offer for many of your patients as well. So we recently explored alternatives to potassium citrate using either sodium or potassium bicarbonate um, to alkalinize the patient's urine and raise urinary citrate. And in this large retrospective review in over almost 500 patients, we identified 70 patients uh, that were on alternative therapy with either sodium or potassium bicarbonate. And we compared the citraturic and pH effects of these alternative alkali agents to those patients taking potassium citrate. And we found a significant increase in urinary citrate excretion in those patients taking alternative alkali, um, similar, a similar increase in citrate on those patients taking potassium citrate. Similarly, the alternative alkali caused a significant increase in the alkali or urine pH effect. And when we looked at the median change in citrate, as well as the median change in pH of the alternative alkali medications as compared to potassium citrate, these increases were not statistically significant. But most importantly, we found that, that using alternative alkali therapy in our patients with hypocitratoria offered the patients a 72 to 84% cost savings as compared to those individuals taking either generic or brand name potassium citrate. So the use of sodium or potassium bicarbonate appears to still have uh, a citratoric and pH raising effect as compared to potassium citrate, but it also represents a significant cost savings for our patients as compared to those individuals taking potassium citrate with the storm formation rate appearing to be similar between groups. Another major area of interest currently in medical stone management is the impact of oxalate on stone disease. And I believe that doctors Asimos and Wood at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, have demonstrated that small increases in urinary oxalate can increase calcium oxalate crystallization or the risk of calcium oxalate stones. And it's been estimated that the relative risk of forming a stone will increase 2.5 to 3.5 percent or fold as the urinary oxalate excretion doubles from 20 to 40 milligrams per day. It's important to remember that two major, the two major sources of endogenous oxalate production in humans are either intestinal due to the breakdown product of ascorbic acid or hepatic due to enzymatic pathways in the liver. And currently there are a number of 
oxalate degrading enzymes and bacteria in the gut microbiome uh, that are being studied as therapies in patients with enteric hyperoxaluria. Either oxalate decarboxylase or oxalobacter formigenes are currently undergoing clinical trials. But I think a more interesting question would be, can we use either of these uh, medications to reduce normal urinary oxalate levels to even lower oxalate levels and therefore reduce the risk of recurrent stone formation. There will be more information about these trials for sure. But I think the most interesting current exploration of medical management of stones um, looks at the genetic causes and management of stone disease. It's estimated that 11% of adult and 29% of patients diagnosed before the age of 25 may have a monogenic mutation causing their stone disease, which can also impact renal function. And this includes 17% of patients with early onset of their stone disease. In fact, the AUA guidelines suggest that primary hyperoxaluria should be suspected if your patient's urinary oxalate is more than 75 milligrams per day. And the rare, the rare kidney stone consortium suggests that all pediatric patients should be evaluated to treat recurrent nephrolithiasis and prevent their renal stones. There are a number of various panels for monogenic conditions for kidney stones that are currently available. And I would offer to you that you should consider genetic testing in high-risk stone formers, such as pediatric patients, those with a strong family history of stones, patients with nephrocalcinosis, or stones and concurrent chronic kidney disease. And currently, these monogenic uh, testing kits can uncover uh, rare and more common genetic causes of stones, such as primary hyperoxaluria, distal renal tubularosis, uh, distal tubular acidosis, and those patients with cystinuria. In fact, uh, we know that mutations in two genes underlying the genetic basis of cystinuria, and both of the proteins encoded by these genes are subunits of the transport system responsible for the reabsorption and absorption of cysteine and dibasic amino acids at the apical membrane of the proximal tubule and small intestine. And currently, knockout animal models are being explored to uh, develop medications uh, for managing newer medications for managing patients with cystinuria. But I think the most exciting area of genetic management of nephrolithiasis has been the introduction of small interfering RNA or siRNA-based therapeutics. And for those of you who read the code breaker, um, this year's generic read for the American Urolo Urological Association 
you will know that siRNA uses natural mechanisms by which short strands of RNA um, cause targeted gene suppression. And siRNAs have major therapeutic potential with the opportunity to selectively target and silence the messenger RNA products of genes. So after identifying a target MRA, mRNA sequence, you can create a complementary siRNA mole molecule to silence the protein included uh, or encoded by the mRNA. And recently, there are two drugs that are undergoing early clinical trials, both aimed at the management of primary hyperoxaluria. So primary hyperoxaluria type 1, uh, there is a deficiency in liver-specific perioxomal enzyme, AGT, which converts oxalate precursor glyoxalate to glycine. And this new medication is an investigational li liver-directed RNA, RNA inhibitor which reduces hepatic oxalate production by degrading the messenger RNA that, that encodes glycolate oxidase. And recent clinical phase three trial in the New England Journal of Medicine demonstrated substantial reductions in both urinary and plasma oxalate with urinary oxalate levels in most patients reaching normal or near normal levels. And the data from the recent article earlier this year in the New England Journal, again comparing percent change in 24-hour urine oxalate and percent urinary oxalate uh, change with placebo compared to the siRNA medication demonstrates that this once monthly injection can significantly reduce urinary and plasma oxalate levels, making this a very exciting treatment for this uncommon gen genetic cause of stones, but again, opening, opening up options for other genetic mutations, which may be the basis of recurrent stone disease. So I would offer that the future of the medical management of nephrolithiasis looks exceedingly bright with the use of either empiric therapy or dietary supplements, such as using empiric thiazide and potassium citrate or new alkali supplements to raise urinary citrate levels. The use of alternative alkali therapy, such as potassium or sodium bicarbonate, to raise urinary citrate and alkalize patient's urine. Further studies to look at the impact of hyperoxaluria and medications to reduce urinary oxalate in either those patients with hyperoxaluria or lowering patients with normal oxalate to see if that would have an impact on stone disease. And finally, the use of CRISPR or Cas9 mediated gene knockout models uh, as genetic therapy to manage those patients with monogenetic causes of their stone disease. Again, 
Thank you for allowing me to present this year's Latimer Lecture.